Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hand Me My Purse is a production of iHeart Podcasts. So I saw this and I saw it on Taraji P. Henson's Internet and it's coming from an account that I love to uh, frequently check out called We The Urban. And this is on Instagram. And today I'm going to read to you nine things that you need to hear today. Let's get ready. One, you spent most of 2023 in survival mode. Let 2024 be your year in revival mode. It is possible to thrive while getting to where you're meant to be. Two, take your vitamin D. Go to therapy. Prioritize hydration. Make a daily to-do list. Keep your space clean. Meditate, journal, stretch. Focus on what you can control. Apply actions to intentions. Give yourself grace. Above all, love yourself. May you attract a relationship, this is three, where conversations feel like bridges, not battlefields. Come on now. Now listen now. Who, baby. Let me read that again. Number three is may you attract a relationship where conversations feel like bridges and not battlefields. Number four, you are good enough. Number five, sending love to everyone who experienced the worst of their mental health this past year. I'm so proud of us for doing our bests to be okay. The journey hasn't been perfect, but we made it and we will continue to. If you want it to last, take your time. 
Remember, you are still healing. Give yourself grace. Keep doing the things you found to be helpful and find peace in knowing this won't last forever. Keep pushing. Your progress is your power. And lastly, remember you are still healing. Give yourself grace. can't see the thing that I'm doing. Okay. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Hand Me My Purse, the podcast. I am Mimi Walker, and I will be your forever host each and every single time you turn into this podcast. So go ahead and get comfortable. Get yourself a glass of your favorite beverage, whether that is alkaline water, some red Kool-Aid, a hot cup of tea with honey, or Hennessy. Go light yourself a candle, some incense, or burn yourself some sage, and just get ready to chill out and have a good time. What's up, friends and kin? It's Mimi, resident Auntie Supreme, here at Hand Me My Purse, the podcast. And today, I'm sipping on beet juice. Okay. And I know you're probably thinking, but beet juice is really, really delicious. I enjoy beet juice and I think I like it because it has a really earthy but sweet taste. But the funny thing is that I'm not a big fan of beets. I will eat beets in a salad if they're shredded and I will drink beet juice. My grandmother, may she peacefully rest and always be in my heart and in my spirit. Um, She loved pickled beets. And I used to look at her like, why would you want to eat that? But I love beet juice. Beet juice is good for you. Why? I told you I like a lot of uh, not that delicious tasting beverages because I feel like undelicious tasting beverages are really healthy and good for you. And beet juice has lots of benefits, such as it can help to lower your blood pressure. It may help to reduce your LDL or the bad cholesterol that you may or may not have. It can improve your exercise stamina. That's good to know because um, maybe I'll try that because they sell beet juice at my gym. Maybe I'll drink beet juice instead of the other um, energy drink that I drink before I work out. That's like fucking crack. And I mean, it's great. It's good stuff. Uh, It may improve your muscle strength. Uh, For people with heart failure, it can help you maintain a healthy weight. If that's the case, I need to get an IV with it. And it can help prevent or reduce fatty deposits from forming in your liver. And it is an excellent source of potassium and essential minerals like iron and manganese. What's the hell? Right. What is manganese? But anyway, another thing I read, though, is that you should not drink beet juice every single day. I did read that. Am I a doctor? 
Absolutely not. But put some respect on my name. I do be knowing a little stuff about health, and I don't care if I am fat. Uh, just because you're skinny don't mean you know a lot about health. It just means that, you know, you're skinny, that's all, or you're thin. Uh, and just because you're fat doesn't mean that you don't know things about good nutrition and health. It just means you're fat. That's it. Um, I did read that you should not drink it every day. I cannot remember why it said so, but I do. I did make a note to say it says that you should not drink it every single day. What I am going to do, though, is um, the next time I go to the gym, I, instead of drinking my energy drink that I will not name here because nobody's paying me to. I don't give a shit. Celsius. It's like crack. I love it. Me and my friend Susie. Shout out to my friend Susie. What up, Shub? <laughs> We uh, are accountability partners for the gym, and we always talk about how we drink Celsius, and we love it, and how it's crack, and how it interrupts our sleep pattern for the evening, uh, even if we drink it early in the day. So I'm going to try beet juice and see if that helps me. I do not think it's going to be the same as Celsius, um, but maybe I'll buy like the powdered Celsius and put a little bit in the beet juice. I wonder what that would do. That might help and not put the whole pack. I just put like half. That might be a thing. I'm going to try it and I'll let you guys know when I try it. Might not be this week, but I'm going to try it. I want to see what happens. All right. All right. Go ahead. Get you some beet juice, but don't drink it every day. Also, do your own research. Don't believe everything I say because I'm not a doctor. Don't be silly. So, friends and kin, for today's jam, I went with a classic. This song, uh, the album that it's on, came out in 1991, and it was released. The album was released. Was released. Sorry, the album was released on September 3rd, 1991. What was I doing on September 3rd of 1991? I don't know, but I was in the sixth grade, I think. I'm lying. I was not. I was in the seventh grade. So I was about to start seventh grade in 91. Yep. I was about to start seventh grade um, here in Baltimore <clears throat> at uh, a school. Uh, that's enough information. Anyway, I was about to start seventh grade. And so I was a big fan of Queen Latifah because I love hip hop. I've always loved hip hop. My mother loved hip hop and rap. We loved music. We listened to music together. And I loved Queen Latifah because she just always looked so regal. She always wore those weird hats on her head. And I was like, this lady must be African queen from New Jersey or something because she always has on these wild, um, Head pieces, but anyway, the song is called Latifah's Had It Up to Here, and it is on her album Nature of a Sister. Okay, Sister with an A. I love when white people <laughs> try to say that, and they're like trying to be very intentional about saying it in a hip and correct way, so they say Sister, and it's like it's not that heavy, just saying Sister. It's just Nature of a Sister. But anyway, uh, the album's called Nature of a Sister. The song is the very first song on the album. Latifah's had it up to here. It's a dope-ass song. The hook says, give it to him, queen. Yeah, yeah. Give it to him, queen. I got it. But anyway, the um, song was actually written and produced uh, in addition to Dana Owens, who was Queen Latifah. It was written and produced it was produced by Naughty by Nature and written by Naughty by Nature with Queen Latifah. So I'm not going to do a lot of talking about it. Listen to it. I hope you like it. 
of course, in the show notes, we're going to have the um, link so that you can watch the video. And the link is for the actual video that came out. I want you guys to look at her hair because my hair was like that at one point, too. Um, shout out to Asymmetrical Haircuts. So let's go ahead and listen to the song right now. And uh, then after you listen to the song, we're going to go ahead and get right into part two of uh, the Educators Roundtable. So let's go ahead and listen and um, then get ready to get this party started. Check out the song. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and sociopolitical factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s 
to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that Gangster Rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so for the next part of our conversation with uh, my friends here, um, as I talk to educators and we sit on this educators roundtable, David had to leave, so he is not here. But I wanted to talk about how the educators are feeling. We talked a lot in the first um, conversation about uh, the state of education and, you know, everyone has some solutions and we talked about, you know, what we feel like is not really working. But I want to talk about like how you guys feel. And you've already established that you don't really feel supported by the parents. Right. But how do you feel? Do you feel like you are supported by the parents, by the district, by your administrators, by your fellow educators, even at home, by your friends and your family members? Do you feel like you are supported I feel like I have a strong support system within my school. Some of that comes from administration. Mm -hmm. I come to work every day. I work my butt off. I toe the line. I do what I need to do for kids. And I'm supported in that, period. Um, I know that there's some times where teachers feel like, oh, administration doesn't support me, but I don't think they've taken the time to understand how administration can support you. And there's some times where you leave your administrators with their hands tied behind their back based on your actions as an educator, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that part. The other part of feeling supportive is I have a husband at home who I love and adore on most days. You know, some days I come in there, I'm like, I can't, you know, you, you know, you get, you Mimi, get on my nerves. Mimi knows, right? And he does not fully understand what it's like to be on in front of 120, 600, and 800, whatever kids every single day. But he knows enough to listen and nod his head and say, what? 
really in all the right places. So I feel supported by him. But I think the measure of support that I have that keeps me at the top of my game and moving through education like I do right now is because I have sought out companions in this journey from fellow educators. So I have educator friends that I draw on for support. Um, Inside of school, outside of school, I have people in the building that I can walk to and talk to who will hold me accountable on my shit, um, who will lift me up, and I do the same for them. And I feel like part of the teacher turnover issue throughout the nation is I think a lot of people enter into education, especially post-COVID, thinking about weekends off and summer vacation and health insurance and are faced with some of the things that Ebony mentioned, you know, kids with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And like David mentioned, you know, the battle between teachers and parents and they walk away because they don't have support, not necessarily from, yes, not the network, not necessarily the support from administration Mm -hmm. or the support at home. But being able to rally together as teachers and Mm -hmm. lift each other up, have someone to vent to that actually understands what you may have gone through today. Mm -hmm. So I feel supported. But some of that support is not just what innately was here when I arrived. You cultivate it. You have to cultivate it. Yeah. You have to cultivate it. I would say that throughout the years, collectively, um, I've been supported for the most part. Um, Often, often tell, especially new teachers, that if I was just coming in now, I don't know. I I, I can honestly say I don't know if I would be able to make it. I think it is some of that um, that grit that you that we, we we built for ourselves early on is what I feel um, have has led me to year twenty five. Um, I truly believe that teaching or whatever whatever was destined for you to do in life is a ministry. And I do believe that teaching is one of, is, is a ministry for me. Um, and which is why even after year five, I could not throw in a towel. I could have, I could have before then said, you know, I'll forget it. But you definitely have to have a passion for it because there are so many hats that you wear. It's not just standing in front of this class and teaching a lesson, um, a book lesson or content specific. A lot of times we are that young lady's um, ear. We are that shoulder. We are the only hug that some of these babies get when they come to school. We are the only one that says, I love you on a daily basis. And I tell my students every day when they leave out the room, I love you guys. I'll see you later, you know, make good choices. I love you. You know, and I say those things because I know for some of them, they don't hear it on a regular. Right. Um, and to me, that's what keeps me going. That's what I feel has gotten me this far in um, this career of education is knowing that the students need me. However, the flip side to that is sometimes that um, the students need me sometimes can get taken advantage of. Because people know your your heart, they know the passion you have, and they know that you will um, probably go to the ends of the earth for some of these students. Sometimes I feel like um, the career as a whole district, not necessarily school school based, but as a district, they know that, and so 
they'll test it to see just how far you go before you actually say, you know what, that's it. I'm not doing that. You've gone too far. Um, So I think that's where um, that passion, that drive comes in as an educator, knowing that, um, yes, you're here for the students, but you also have to know your worth. And you have to also know when, when you feel supported or even when you're not. And communicate. Communication is so, so key because a lot of times people don't know that they're not supporting you unless you say something. Yes. Um, you know, closed, closed mouths don't, don't get, get fed. fed. So yeah. I, that's something else I can say. Maybe it's the, the veteran in me, but I listen to people and um, they might complain. I'm like, I couldn't do that. So I'm, I'm going to say what I have to say if it. You know, I'm going to speak my mind. Not sure how you're going to take it, um, but I'm going to say what I have to say because you're not going to do that to me. Hey, you know, do and you I think feel, do you sometimes feel I think sometimes that um, is where I think the breakdown comes because the lack of communication. I'm not expressing how I feel. Don't know unless unless you, you say open something. your mouth. Right. Nobody's here to read anybody's minds. But that's in any relationship. Mm-hmm. Like that's in a friendship, your hairstylist, your nail tech, your um, wife, your husband, whatever, mm-hmm. your parents, your sisters, brothers. You have to open your mouth because people cannot, nobody can read your mind. So if you're upset about something that I did, you need to let me know because there's a chance that I might do it again because I did it and you didn't respond. And not that I did it for you to respond, Mm -hmm. but I did it. And if I didn't know that it bothers you, and if you're somebody that I, here's the thing, if you're somebody that I care about, me and Brian deal with this sometimes because we are pretty close. So if he does something or if I do something that he doesn't like, you know, we may be mad for, you know, an hour or two. And then I'll say to him, I don't like when you did that. You know, it upset me. It hurt my feelings. <laughs> don't get kicked in the face and then he'll say or he'll say you know I'm tired of you always saying this to me like that it upsets me when you do it and I have to take account and take accountability yeah. Brian which is a big thing for you don't start I'll have to take accountability for what I am saying or doing because if I care about how he feels I don't want him to be upset and I think that even if it is a relationship where you're an administrator or it's the district or it's the government like if you care about the people who are doing the work that you need to be that you need done, yeah. do you care about their voice? Do you care about how they're feeling? Then if I'm doing something and I'm upsetting you and I've come to you and I told you, hey, I don't like it when you do that. It makes me feel X. If you continue to do it, then personally, and I know this is just me, I'm feeling like you saying, well, fuck you then. Right. I tell kids that, too. Like I've asked you to take your earrings off three times. You still don't take them off. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're saying F you. Miss Mimi, yeah. I don't care about what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. So go ahead and wear your earrings. But as a result, I'm going to alter my relationship with you because I feel like you don't care about how I feel. And people say, well, you can't do that to kids. Says who? I have feelings. I have feelings, too. I, I hate when people say that. We're teaching them to be college and career ready. Mm-hmm. We also have to teach them that they can burn bridges. Mm-hmm. That's a part of social emotional mm-hmm. wellness and learning and it awareness. Is. Is. You can't keep giving me your ass to kiss and think that I want to play with you no more. Because I don't. Specifically now because we're middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. Like not so much with pre-K. Not so much with pre-K. But with middle school, high school, we can teach them that your actions affect people. Everything you say and do has a ripple effect to the people around you. And it'll affect you. Yeah. And when you show me this, 
that you're not going to take those earrings off, even though I've asked you kindly, even though I've explained to you that it's a school rule. I have to move differently around you now yeah. because I know that yeah. for whatever reason, you're choosing not to respect this rule. You're choosing not to respect me or my authority. Yeah. And my what boundaries. I, mm-hmm. but I, I want Heather to um, no. tell us if she feels supported. All right. Sorry, we went off on a tangent. ADHD undiagnosed in this room. Perfectly, perfectly fine. I definitely understand it. When I first started teaching, my first year was my worst year. I feel Mm. like I cried every day. I feel like um, I was not supported. And at the end of that year, I was like, I'm not coming back. Um, I had an administrator that was afraid of the parents in the the community. Mm. So she had deadbolt locks on her office door. She stayed behind her door. Y'all was just out here to fend for yourselves. (laughs) Basically, it was. And like Joy said, college does not teach you how. Like, it it may teach you the textbook stuff. It Mm -hmm. may teach you strategies. But it does not teach you real world, like, in the classroom, in the trenches, especially in the community that we serve. Like, it, it does not. So, like, Sheeta said, you have to build that for yourself. And after my first year, I had to learn, okay, I need to put on my combat boots, mm-hmm. right? I need to put on my boots. I need to toughen up because I was not, um, It was, and it wasn't the kids. It was not the kids. It was the people in the building mm. and the administrator who was scared of everything. Um, she really did not have a support system, a support um, staff either. So it was everyone fending for themselves. And like Joy mentioned, you have to cultivate your friendships. You have to cultivate those people. You have to build a community around yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned to do. Mm -hmm. And as the years pass, I do have a group of people that understand what it is like. Mm -hmm. And those people now in my 22nd year, I look forward to coming to school because I want to see those faces. Uh I want to see those faces. Yeah, work is hard. Being the political aspect of teaching is very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are things that we can't shake. We can't. But having a circle around you of people that understand and that Mm -hmm. support you really makes it so much easier. Mm -hmm. So do I feel supported now? Absolutely. I feel supported. Good. And I would say not only does that support, not only do you feel it amongst your your friends that you've... um, you know, that you made throughout your years, your years of work, but the students see it. Mm-hmm. Um, the students uh, get a kick out of when, you know, my friends at work and I say, we love each other. We'll give each other a kiss on the cheek. Mm-hmm. They're looking like, y'all do that? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but they see it. I think that's also very important. To un- and they also know that, okay, I can't mess with that teacher, you know, and I feel like as far as we're talking about support, I think that's why when, listen to what Heather just said, that's why when we, I remember we got a new teacher at the school where I teach. We got a new teacher on the team, and um, we rallied around this teacher. We made sure, because when I first met him, I'm like, uh-oh, he's going over top of him. You know, it's middle school, you know. But we made sure as a team we rallied around this teacher. We made sure that the students knew not to play with this teacher. You play with him. You play with everybody else on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they knew that. But I will say that not just and uh, support in that aspect, but supporting them as far as resources, um, being in that room, they can come in and watch and observe and see how you do classroom management, um, um, encouraging them to go to other classes outside of the grade level in which they teach, go to, go to the high school, you know, you know, learn on your own, learn for yourself, any questions you have come back. I think that is something that 
people have to show humility when it comes to that. You have to, you have to humble yourself when you understand that I don't have it all figured out and I don't know what in the ham sandwich I'm doing, but I'm going to learn. So I think that's also where support comes in because you have to know your strengths and your areas of strength, your areas of weakness. And even now in year 25, there are things I do not know and I do lean on the younger teachers. I, I lean on them for technology support because that is not my area of expertise. Um, and I think that support to me is not just from one from one source. Support is all around. And it's what you it's the grit that you build for yourself throughout the years. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. 
Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Brian, uh, it, you have an interesting perspective because you are an administrator. And um, as an, an administrator, I wonder, do you feel like you are supported by parents, by the district, by fellow administrators, by the educators in the building? Because you, I feel like administrators need to feel supported by the teachers. Like it's a two-way relationship. Do you feel like you are supported? So I'm for- I answer honestly, please. Thank you. I'm fortunate in the sense that um, much to Sheeta and Joy's points and um, Heather's points a moment ago, um, because we've been together for a while and have been able to build that relationship around things, I think it, you know, I do feel supported by my teachers. I feel like, um, you know, you can get mad and frustrated or ticked off about certain things that are happening. 85% of the time, it actually doesn't have anything to do with me. So I'm able to let that just kind of roll. It's things coming from on high that we can't really control. Mm -hmm. And I know that. And I also understand the teachers need time to vent and think through it and go through their process of, you know, doing that. I always felt when I was a teacher, um, I would probably be more similar to Joy's thing where I wanted to shut my door and let me do what I'm doing. And, you know, if, if the results aren't great, yes, come in and tell me when I'm not doing great. But I'm willing to receive feedback at all times, but I I just wanted to just teach the kids I had in front of me. So I always felt as an administrator, my job was to give you guys the ability to teach without the The outside noise. The freedom to teach. Without the outside noise of district, parents, you know, craziness going on, this, that, and the other. So I always felt my job was to try to shield you guys from that as much as possible. And, you know, when there was times where I had to take heat for that from parents yelling and screaming at me, you know what? I'm going to stand by my teacher because I know what she does in the end or he does in the end. And you're going to grow to love this teacher. Trust me. Um, I will say, though, that more recently, I have felt it has become increasingly difficult to support teachers the way I would like to. And I think a big part of that is not really in-house, as I would say. It is um, district policy, um, code of conduct has shifted in oh. such a way 
that it is really hard for me to look at a teacher and know how they were disrespected and made to feel like crap by some scholar or their yeah. parent yeah. and then have to deliver this kid back to a classroom without any kind of like um like the kid just saying sorry yeah, no or not even, or not even, God forbid, you know, without even having that ability to like uh, reconnect the, those that relationship mm -hmm. without being restorative. Thank you, uh, Ebony, because I feel like we're in such a odd place where I'll hold parents accountable. And then five minutes later, I'm being held accountable for holding a parent accountable yep. for yelling and screaming at people. And I'm still willing to do those things. But um, for yelling is, and screaming at your teacher. Exactly. Which is not okay. Which is not okay. And I don't mind being yelled and screamed at by the parents and trying to be that shield. But I feel like the district and the policies that be are making it increasingly difficult to, you know, put your heels in the ground and say, look, man, that's got to stay outside. Like in here, we're going to be respectful. We're going to treat each other, you know, like we all care about the same thing, which is your child, because that's why we're all here. Right. So you're coming in here yelling and screaming at us and we're trying to meet you halfway so that we wow. can, you know, figure out a way that we can all be on the same page. And I just feel like as an administrator, we are put, you know, we're middle management. We're putting a really tough spot in terms of I understand the anger from the teachers. There's the times I really un understand the frustration from the parents, but oftentimes uh, policies are what they are. And us having to try to adhere to those is almost impossible and keeping anybody happy. So everybody's miserable instead of just some people being happy. So I feel like instead in the district's attempts to just try to placate families and their frustration, we've now gotten to a place where teachers are leaving at an all time high. Yeah. I was literally and leaving and like going to work at Target. Right. And like we're fortunate in our middle school. What do we have one opening this year? I mean, over the past three years, we've had less than probably every other school in the district mm -hmm. as a middle school. But look at the high school. Like they yeah, they increasingly different. have more people leaving. Look at other schools in the district. It's just a constant cycle. And it's because they don't have that support. They don't have, and I'm not saying from administration, I'm saying from each other, from yeah. the teams. They don't have each other to lean on. And then when once that starts, I mean, I could see it unraveling really fast. I mean, we couldn't hire people until September. There were some yeah. people still coming on. I mean, yeah. I was literally holding interviews at 8 o'clock at night, you know, driving to people's houses just to try to get people hired um, because we were that short. So I would say from my lens, I don't think teachers are being supported at all. Mm. And as a result, we're seeing the deprofessionalism. Make it up. Deprofessionalization. Deprofessionalization. Oh, come on. Wait a minute. I like that. It makes yeah. me think of in Living Color when um, Damon Wayans was in jail and he would be like, the hibotchery, excuse me, <laughs> the hibotcherization of, that's what you just said, the deprofessionalization of. Yeah. Yeah, add it. Yeah, I feel like we're taking that away from teachers and that is, it is causing people to think that they can come and treat them as if they're not professionals yeah. and people in here are working at their craft. They're professionals. They are really, you know, practicing to get better all the time. They should be treated like professionals. They shouldn't be treated as if you can just come in and yell and scream and do whatever you want to them because they're working really hard at their jobs. I just want you to know, Brian, that deprofessionalization is a word, my friend. It is the process by which members of a high status occupation lose the facility to have autonomous control over its internal affairs Ooh. and the behavior of its hold please i gotta click it the behavior of its oh sorry the behavior of its membership 
It also results in a loss of the monopoly of the members of the profession to have exclusive rights to do certain kinds of work and a loss of control over the expert knowledge that before deprofessionalization was not available to the general public. Brian, Brian, everybody. Come on, Brian. But that's why I said it. I knew it was a word. He ain't know nothing. He stands on business. He stands on business. (laughs) Mia. Um... So as Tell a special the shame the yeah, devil here. As a special educator, mm-hmm. it it you know, it's it's interesting. We're in a, a inter, an interesting position in the yeah. school in most in most cases. I feel like personally I get more support from the people who don't really know or understand what I do than I do from the people who know exactly what I do. And when I say the people who know exactly what I do, I mean the district. Again, um, most of the specialists, the special education specialists that I would go to for support in my role have been in my role before. They were classroom special education classroom teachers and then they were IEP chairs. Um, so they know the teaching aspect and then they know the uh, the compliance aspect. They are the least supportive people you ever want to meet in your life. They know what we go through in the schools when we request support from them for a student. For example, when we have students like um, AE who have oh, these boy. extreme behaviors, who's performing significantly below grade level, who we've given every intervention known to man, mm-hmm. but we still can't get this person to sit in class, attend to instruction and behave themselves every day. Mm-hmm. And so we suspect that this is not the right placement for, for them. So we go to the district office for support. We say, hey, we need you to come in. We need you to observe this student. We need you to tell us what we can do to improve his educational experience, right? So first they make us complete a 10-page application. Um, (laughs) And along with that 10-page application, you have to, I'm not even going to say referral, I'm going to say application because we're applying for support. Um, And then you have to attach to that all of this anecdotal information, all of this assessment data, Everything known to man. And then they come in, they observe. And the first thing they say is the teacher is not doing X, Y, Z. The teacher needs to do X, Y, Z. But the teacher has done everything known to man. And then they still don't give us any support. So this this student stays in the environment Mm -hmm. that they're in. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as administration and teachers, I feel like I am supported as much as they can support me. I don't think people fully understand what my role is. I think sometimes the expectations of what I can control and cannot control far exceed what I can actually do. Um, Parents, for the most part, are supportive, but I think sometimes they have unrealistic expectations too um, because they know that they have a child who's limited um, they know that the child needs supports and services, and they think that once we give this child supports and services, they're going to be an A student. Mm-hmm. They're going to be reading above grade level. <laughs> right. They're going to be doing um, pre-calculus in seventh grade, and mm-hmm. we know that not to be true. Yeah. And so that's where the problem comes in with the parents. But again, for the most part, I feel supported by the people who are in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a special education position is very difficult because you have... 
fewer colleagues mm. that can relate to what you do. Right. And in my position, I only have one colleague who knows exactly what I what I do. And we don't have a good relationship. And so she's not very supportive of me in mm. this role. Okay. So that's what makes it very difficult for me. The district, you know, the relationship with my peer and then the relationship with everybody else in the school who really don't know what I do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Ebony. Yes. So I, I can agree with what everyone is saying in terms of feeling supported locally and within the culture of this community. But it's different for me as a mental health professional in a school system because you have maybe 70 to 80 teachers in one social worker. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that can be very isolating on many levels. And the support that we get, it is a phone call away. It is an email away, but it's not always a fix to what we're talking about, which is human behavior, which is mental health challenges, family challenges, lack or whatever those, you know, struggles are with within our community. And so. While I do believe that there is a tremendous amount of support in this building, I am isolated as a mental health professional. And I feel it right um, to the extent of it's not just about the school system, but it's really about if a kid is struggling and needs support bigger than us. I don't always have anywhere to send them. So it's not even the district. It's not this school. There are so many other things that come into play. If a family is homeless and that comes to me, okay, they're homeless. Okay, I know that, but where am I going to send where they're going to have some way to go that night? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the support part, it just looks very different because it's grassroots. So it's not just the district, but it's also within the community. And they're so limited. You know, there's such a limited amount of resources when we talk about vocation and housing and mental health and case management, all of those things, which I'm not in this building, but it's looked upon when a, a child suffers, the, you know, the way that it comes to us. And so in some instances, the lack of support is on a much different scale. How do you feel like your mental health is impacted by the work that you do? And, oh, they're laughing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, do you still have mental health or is it gone now? I don't, I've passed mental health. I'm just swinging it. How is your mental health, um, how does your job in- impact your mental health? And what kind of strategies or coping mechanisms or basically how do you deal with it? Um, if it is drugs, don't say so on this show. I'll start off by saying faith. Right. I believe that. Come on, Jesus. Yes. I believe that we all need a foundation of faith that supports us and that is our source. But I also believe that there has to be strong boundaries in what we Mm. do and how we do what we do. We have to be able to take care of ourselves at any means necessary, especially in this season. And that may look different to people, you know, because other people may not understand the measures that you have to take to care for yourself. But I think having that self-care 
and establishing those boundaries. And someone said earlier, asking for for help when needed and looking to that support. Um, I also think that when our mental health is challenged, we have to be able to be honest and Mm -hmm. say, I don't have it. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of times we continue to work, 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 work. And that's what we do because we're, you know, we're hard workers. We have great work ethic, but we're in a season now where that's just not enough anymore. And you have to be able to stop. Mm. I agree with that, Ebony, completely. I feel like the, the best of us teachers are teachers who for a long time didn't have any boundaries and we push ourselves to the limit, which then in turn pushes our mental health to the limit. And Mimi and I have had this conversation a thousand times and I really feel like it just took last year, but she's always told me no is a complete sentence. No is a complete sentence. I also think back to something that I share with my students about pour into the people that pour into you. There's sometimes that you're pouring into something and it's to no benefit. So you have to balance your energies and know that what you're putting into is going to benefit you or or someone else. Um, as far as my own mental health, uh, I drink wine, I cry in the car, or sometimes on the way home. <laughs> I do yoga, I meditate, um, I make it a priority to spend time with my family. I make it a priority to spend time with my husband. Um I make it a priority to spend time in fresh air, outside, in the Mm -hmm. quiet, sometimes just taking a walk. Mm -hmm. Um, Prioritizing those things is what keeps me on any given day from just kind of tipping over the edge, you know, and then reaching out to my support group of friends, you know, being able to vent and laugh and talk and be like, do you know what this child did in there today? Like being able to get you know, that off my chest. I think So that some helps. relatability. Yes. Okay. Brian. I already know his answer. He works out. I, I find that, you know, keeping myself healthy is a priority, but also just like uh, pushing myself, you know, when I am working out and stuff, so just get out that frustration and whatnot. I'm fortunate in that my wife was an educator for a long time. Um, so she understands when I'm frustrated or ticked off with something at work, but I almost never bring work home. Mm. I almost never talk so about that's it. that's coping strategy. I compartmentalize it. Yeah. When I walk in the door, I'm able to um, say, all right, it's time to turn back on and go back into education. But I know if I'm thinking about something that's going on in the building and I'm with my kids trying to coach or do this or that, um, then I'm a miserable person. So I'd rather just try to give 100% when I'm here. And then when I'm not here give 100% to other things. So, Well, that's 200%. No, it's 100%. In two different places. In two different yeah. places. Aha, math teacher. And he's not lying. I, the, lately, recently, I called you the other day. Um, I think it was right before we went on break and I, we were talking about something that happened at work and I was probably gossiping and I was like, uh, something, something, something. And then he was like, okay. And he didn't hang the phone up. And I was driving, so I didn't hang the phone up. And he was walking into his house. And I, I'm assuming that was your wife and your daughter. You walked to the house. And he said, hey, ladies. And it was like something snapped in him, like where he went from being uh, my coworker or my friend Brian into being Brian the father and Brian the husband. Yeah. Brian the husband. It was kind of cute. Oh. When we go back to like, 
sorry. When we go back to like feeling supported, I think one of the things that makes us feel supported here is his ability to do that. Mm-hmm. His ability to be like, when it's school, it's school. When it's home, it's home. And then there's a level of compassion. Yeah. There's always a level of compassion and empathy. Like, understanding that he is an educator who Mm -hmm. has a life outside of school. Mm -hmm. And so are all of us. Mm -hmm. He sees that in all of us. So that's, that's like that level of support that you're able to give is because you know when we leave here, you don't want us to feel completely defeated because you know we have a family to go home to or just our own lives to go home to. All right, that's... Welcome to the Brian Joseph Appreciation (laughs) (laughs) Please call in and say nice things about Brian. I ditto everything everyone just said. Um, Definitely um, being in a uh, building where I have people to vent to, that is definitely one way of... um, managing that mental health. Of course, going back to what Ebony said as far as um, having that faith, being faith-based. Because um, if I didn't have God to talk to sometimes, because he has talked me down off of the ledge multiple times, I'm about to blow my mind, about to blow. And I'm like, even even my students have seen me look up and just start talking to him. I'm like, Lord, okay, this is a test. I know you said if I don't pass the test now, I'm going to pass it later on. So I, I, which one? Tell me what I need to do. You know, so, you know, so I, I, I know definitely, you know, the kids think I'm crazy because I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to myself, I'm talking to the Lord. Um, but then that serenity prayer, of being able to, you know, asking God to grant me um, the strength to accept the things I cannot change. There are the things I just cannot change. And then there's courage to embrace those things that I can change. So I think going back to that um, is what keeps my um, my mental health intact. Um, also working out now that I can get back, now that I'm cleared. Um, and then having that spouse, um, and my friends, of course, but then my spouse that makes me cut it off. Because sometimes I don't cut it off. Sometimes I don't. I bring that right in the house. He'd be like, wait a minute, hold up. Mm-mm. Leave it right in the car. Just hang up the phone. It's our time now. You're home with the family. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. 
because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So having that voice of reason also when I get home, because I don't know, for women, it might be a little different. We're very emotional creatures, and sometimes we hold on and, and, and let it fester, or we just keep it in, and then we just gotta keep talking about it and he's like no it's over we're gonna enjoy this weekend I don't want to hear you say anything about school or whatever the issue is and if I'm talking to somebody from work he's like mm, hang up the phone not this weekend not today it's it's you know so you have to have that that balance and if you don't have it then you have to have someone an accountability partner to make you have balance because yeah some people we I know me I don't always know how to cut it off and just knowing that um this is my job but it is not my life. Mm-hmm. It's my job, but it's not my life. I have a life outside of this place and that it's not fair to my loved ones when I'm bringing home all this baggage. Mia? Therapy. 
Hey, mm. he every week, Shondo, once a week, huh? every week. Come listen, my therapist mm. just came back, and I've been struggling because I ain't seen her in two weeks. Let's yeah, get back yeah, in here. Yeah, my therapist is on vacation yeah, too, ain't no vacation. and I'm looking forward to the tenth when she comes back. I have listen, a lot of things I need to share weekly. with her. Things that <laughs> haven't even happened at work yet. Yeah, I but I'm anticipating that. Yes, listen, yes. therapy is it. Mm. And let me say something. I want to give a special shout out to uh, Ebony for being my interim, not therapist because that is not ethically sound but my um this goes back to having somebody in the building that where you can just go and release and I think that um in this building there are lots of people that I am that I like right there are people that I like and there are a few people that I love right but there is one person where I can go lay on the floor, cry, talk about my childhood trauma, snot can run out of my nose, and um, she will help me to get off the floor. She'll give me a tissue for my snot, and then I feel better. Sometimes I really believe that, um, oh, I'm going to cry. I really believe that like having your support is the only way that sometimes I make it in here because sometimes it is a lot. And aside from like what Brian said, like there, we all have a life outside of here. And sometimes life outside of here is not great for some of us. Some of everybody's going through something. And so to be going through something and then have to come in here and deal with kids and administrators and fellow coworkers who may not come in with joy leading their walk, um, it can be really rough. But I just want to say thank you, Ebony. And also, um, I want to say to you, even though you get on my nerves really bad, Brian, that I told Crystal one day, I said, you know, the people that I really like at work are the reason why I still go to work, you know, and no shade to the kids, you know, because kids are great, you know, whoop-de-woo. But you guys are part of the reason why I still come and why I haven't said, fuck this. I don't want to do this no more. I ain't coming no more. I, I, I literally sometimes come just to be in community with you. And so that was my feeling supported. I feel supported by... um the people that I have cultivated relationships with so that I do have a network of support. Heather, how does your job impact your mental health? See how the ADHD works? How does your, this job impact your mental health and what strategies do you have in place to cope with these stressors? Um, it, it took me a while to realize that I was a person outside of work. I used to mm. take work home mm. all the time. Um, and I would just, I'm always, always working. And it took, and when I had a child, it changed all of that. Okay. Because he demands attention, mm-hmm. you know? And my mom was really good at saying, don't take any work home. You're doing work. Even today, I'm like, I'm going to to work. She was like, no, you're not. You're not going to work. You have to learn work is work, home is home. And I had to learn that. I also... Like you, Mia, had to seek a therapist and learn because compassion fatigue is so real. Yes, it is. And it was really bringing me down because I would take, I would just absorb all of the traumatic experiences and all of the woes of my students. and Vicarious trauma. Yeah, I would take it home with me and it wasn't healthy for me. So I had to learn to like release it. And 
I'm working on getting to the point where Brian is, where I just separate school mm-hmm. or work and home. And I don't even think about it mm-hmm. outside of work. But I have learned over the years that I also have to be a person outside of work. Yeah. Because if not, it is really going to cause damage to me mentally. You know what? In addition to that, when we talk about cultivating relationships and having a support network, I'm going to go ahead and say this uh, because I'm going to say it. I noticed that people who don't do that, like I, for me, uh, I'm a bit uh, empathic and I study like human behavior. Like I watch people constantly. I find that when people don't do that, it's very loud. Like you can tell the people who don't, um, separate their work from their home. Mm -hmm. You can tell people who don't have a lot of autonomy, um, in their home or in their life outside of work. You can tell the people who don't have a lot of joy in their life outside of work because it, it almost like it's almost like it oozes out of their pores when they get here. And if they have a little bit of power, which all adults in this building have power because we work with children and, you know, adults are adults and children are children. I feel like it comes out and it's it's really loud. And um, I wish that there was something or a way for us to. Um, help everybody or if I had a magic wand which I do have a Harry Potter wand um, the Severus Snape wand with my name on it that I got from the Harry Potter store Um, I wish I could bring my magic (laughs) wand in here and I wish I could do a spell and just um, stop that because I think that it's fortunate that the people in this room um, have people that they can rely on but Miss Mia was very, um, hearing her talk about how she has one peer in the building who could really relate to what she's doing, but they don't have a good relationship. And that has to be an uncomfortable space to be in. So I implore you, Mia, to cultivate some relationships in this building because there are amazing people here for you to cultivate relationships with. And most of them are sitting at this table. And I have. I've yes. cultivated relationships with people. Absolutely. When I'm able to get away out from my... Out of your office. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Poor That's lady. part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that she can't get out of there. She know. can't get out of there. Um, I have a question for you guys. Uh, when... Did you want to say something? Oh, I, I was going to go back to what you said about cultivating community. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about our school mm-hmm. and the success of our school and the success of any school, mm-hmm. we're a school with 875 students. Mm-hmm. It's only 80 of us. Yeah, less. about 80. Less. Less. Okay. And one social worker. And one social worker. No, right. that includes <laughs> the social worker. That includes you. Know, you. Uh, but when I think about that... Part of the reason why our school has not succumbed to so much of what's going on in other city schools around us Mm -hmm. is because of the community that we've cultivated amongst the staff. It really is. I fundamentally Um, agree. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing that, we are modeling work relationships and friendships and what productive adult relationships look like. We're modeling that for the students as well. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think that is one of the huge factors in the success. of. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just 
disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steel every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. 
Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of our Where we are. The straight facts question for today's episode. It says, Mimi, I need your help. My name is Amber. I have to start off by telling you how much I love your podcast. Well, Amber, to that I say, thank you. Shout out to you, Amber. You're a real one. I love your podcast. You give the best advice, which is why I'm writing to you today. I'm 25 years old and I have been living with my boyfriend for two years. Together, we try to maintain as a couple, but it has been really hard. I've been looking for a second job for months and have not had any luck. As a result of our financial hardships, we have received an eviction letter. Damn, sis. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for that. Call on them. To be honest, I'm embarrassed. First of all, don't be embarrassed because shit happens and shit shit happens to all of us. But the truth of the matter is that shit happens for a reason. Um, Back to what I was saying. To be honest, I am embarrassed, but not really in shambles because my parents have always told me that I can always come back home if I need to. Unfortunately, my boyfriend does not have the same support, and once evicted, he will not have anywhere to go. He came home last night and shared that someone told him about a shelter that we both could go to once we get on our feet. Oh, until we get on our feet. To be honest, I love him and want to be with him, but I personally do not want to go live in the shelter. Would I would I be wrong if I tell him I will continue to support him? Support him how, girl? But I will continue to support him, but I want to move back home with my family. Amber from the Bronx. Amber, let me tell you something. Not today. Girl, if you don't take your ass back home to live with your family, ain't nobody finna be living in no shelter with nobody. All of that um, ride or die shit, that is bullshit, child. Listen. <laughs> I know this <laughs> I know somebody's listening and saying that's why you single now. Okay, and I don't give a shit. That's fine. Because what I'm not gonna do is live in no shelter. Because I can see myself being Amber. My family ain't gonna ever see me in no shelter. Ever, 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 ever. Um and it's unfortunate that he doesn't have the same support. Um what I will say is that you could have you asked your parents how they would feel about um, him or the t- moving in or the two of you guys moving back in with them? Truthfully, you know, your parents may be like, uh, Not the and they have that right. That doesn't mean that they don't love you. That doesn't mean that they don't like your boyfriend. It just means like, you know, they just don't want that and they have the right to do that. Um, if you have exhausted all options um, and and all options means a lot of options because it could be looking for a cheaper place. It could be um, getting a roommate. It could be all kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is that if you want to go home and go back to live with your parents, um, do that. Because who wants to go live in a shelter? 
no thank you, sir. Um, I think it's a conversation, you know, here at Hand Me My Purse. Everything uh, falls back on healthy communication. I think that if you guys have a conversation and you talk to him and you explain to him, look, bruh, you know, I love you. Um, I want to be with you, but I don't want to be with you in a shelter. And I don't want you in a shelter either. And maybe just talking about like, is there anybody that you have? Like, do you have anybody? Do you have a homeboy that'll let you like sleep on his couch? Do you have a cousin? Do you have anything? Also, another question I was thinking about, Amber, is um, you mentioned you having a job, but does he have a job? Because no, we not going to do that either. We not going. You mentioned something about um, I will continue to support him. Support him how? Emotionally and with love? Because I hope you ain't talking about supporting him financially and he ain't got no job. Get a job. Because if you can get a job, and did you say you had two jobs? Oh, shambles. Uh, financially. Uh, I can't see because I done took my glasses off. But um, I would talk to him about it and let him know that, you know, I don't feel comfortable going to live in a shelter. I don't want to do that. And I'm going to go and live with my parents. Let's talk this through and see who you can possibly turn to for support or who you can stay with until we get this thing together. And then tell him, like, let's sit down and let's work on a plan. Let's create a plan to get out of this situation. Because the truth of the matter is that uh, let's be, keep it a buck, sis. Like y'all getting evicted. So shit is real. Hold on, please. Let me just. Shit is getting real. Like shit is getting real for y'all. Y'all getting evicted. Ain't nobody got time to be, um, you know, being willy nilly. And if I could also be really honest and transparent, if you're in a place where you're getting evicted, then somehow some uh, something didn't work out along the way. Some A plan fell through. There was a loss of focus. You know, like you didn't like hit the points. Like when you saw the writing on the wall, and this is not me being judgmental. Trust me, I'm not that kind. Like I, if you are familiar with who I am, you wear some ugly shoes. You got on face foundation, you know, that don't match your neck. I might judge you, but I'm not judging you for getting evicted. But I, what I will say is that, okay, we're here now. Obviously, there was not a plan in place. Now let's create a plan. And just let him know that in your plan is not a part of your plan to live in a shelter and that you don't want that for him either. Now, let's go through and think about who you can ask or reach out to for support. Because I'm going to live with my parents until I can figure this out. And there's nothing wrong with that. And guess what? He may want to break up with you. <sighs> that may happen. And um, if he does... That's unfortunate, and I'm sure that um, you would not want that to happen. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that he might want to break up with you. And if he does, that is fine, too. Life will go on, okay? Life moves on. <laughs> like, life keeps moving. The world will not stop. Will you be sad? Yes. But will you die? No, you won't. Um, life will keep moving and it'll be an opportunity for a new beginning for you. And all I will say is if 
He loves you and he is understanding and he does not have a an ego the size of Epcot Center. He will understand that you don't want to live in a shelter and that you want to go live with your parents. And I think as his girlfriend, you can be supportive and you can best support him by helping him work through what resources are available to him other than living in a shelter. Because it's one thing to, you know, everybody has to struggle sometimes, but nobody wants to live in a shelter if they don't have to. And he shouldn't have to either. But if he does have to, then that is a part of, you know, his life's plan or his life's like trajectory at this moment. But you don't have to live in a shelter if you don't want to. At the end of the day, the bottom line is this. You hear that? Sounds like a helicopter. At the end of the day, the bottom line is this. If you don't want to live in a fucking shelter, Amber, don't. Does that make you a bad girlfriend? Hell no. No, it does not. What it makes you is a good person to yourself. It makes you a good Amber for Amber. So good luck with that. Um, may God be with you. I hope something comes through and I hope that neither of you end up in a shelter. And I hope that if it is destined for you to be in a relationship and be together, then you will be. But if it's not, then you won't. It's it's very simple. You're young. You're 25. It may seem like the end of the world, but girl, trust me, it's not. I'm 44 and I can tell you that it is not the end of the world. May God be with you. God bless you. And thank God for your family. I bet you are grateful for them in a different way now than you were, I'd say, two years ago. Thank God for supportive family. For today's We Got to Do Better, it is coming from good old Auntie Maya Angelou. I just want to say there is a gentleman on the social medias who does the best fucking Maya Angelou impersonation I have ever heard in my life. And if I find it by the time I write these show notes, I will put it in the show notes. But when I tell you it is amazing, it's amazing. Anyway, Auntie Maya Angelou said... Mother said that I must always be... Hold on. Let me put my glasses on, y'all, because this is definitely a... That's a tornado. Because I can't see. Oh, they dirty. Mother said that I must always be intolerant of ignorance, but understanding of illiteracy. That some people, unable to go to school, were more educated and more intelligent than college professors. And I selected this quote because of something that um, Brian, who was one of the people, uh, one of the educators uh, on this show, or that was a part of the series. And in the first episode, he said um, something about, like, there's nothing promised to high school kids when they get out of school. And as we were talking, because I know him, I thought about... um, like people who just are not college educated or who may not even be able to read. He also mentioned that some industries don't even require people to be able to read anymore because they put pictures up to explain how to do so many things. And I just think that as we talk about education, sometimes we have to remember that just because you are educated or just because of higher education, it does not mean that you are more or less intelligent than the next person. Because trust me, I work in a building 
filled with college educated people with um, I don't with PhDs and master's degrees and degrees, degrees, degrees. And I can promise you some of them don't have the fucking sense that God gave a goat. And I don't mean LL Cool J, the greatest of all time. I mean, a bah, like a goat, a goat on a hill. OK. Some of them don't have the social emotional intelligence that a dead leaf on a rose petal has. OK, so just remember that just because you have lots of degrees or you're, you know, formally educated, uh, that doesn't mean that you're more intelligent than the man or the woman who does not have those degrees because um, intelligence is measured in so many different ways. And um, one is not more important than the, than the other. Please be advised because you can, you can have tons of degrees and not have any understanding of boundaries and not having an understanding of boundaries in the workplace can be a problem. It can cost you your job. Okay. You can have um, a lot of social, social emotional intelligence and not be able to read. And you may need that in your job. So I say that to say that to say, excuse me, just because you have more of one type of intelligence and there's so many different types of intelligence. There's spiritual intelligence, emotional intelligence, mental intelligence, social intelligence, um, physical intelligence, like actual intelligence, um, academic intelligence. Like so many different ways to be smart. Being smart and being intelligent is not only about a book and a piece of paper that somebody gives you to validate your intelligence. It's not, it's beyond that. I just want everyone to understand that what um, Auntie Maya was saying is that, you know, some people aren't able to go to school. Some people aren't able to finish school. Some people weren't able to finish, but that doesn't mean that they're less intelligent than people who did. They just may not know more about a certain thing than them. And so in closing, I'm going to read it one more time. Mother said that I must always be intolerant of ignorance, but understanding of illiteracy, that some people unable to go to school were more educated and more intelligent than college professors. Friends and kin, the first thing I want to do is say thank you to God because God is supreme and God is at the helm of all things that I do. All of the sunshine and the wonderful things that happen, God is there. And then all of the things that happen that aren't always sunshine, God is there too because there's a lesson in that for me. And God is in the lesson business. Lessons and blessings. That's what he's doing, okay? Lessons and blessings. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want to verbally say that I recognize and appreciate the grace that God extends me. What? Every day of my black ass life. I want to say thank you to you guys. You are my people. Thank you to each and every one of you that have been rolling with me since day one, since March the 1st of 2020. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for being here with me. And even if you just started listening in 2024 or in 2023, I thank you for that as well. Either way you cut it up, I'm grateful. I'm thankful for my family. I love them. I love my family. Shout out to my fucking family. 
I love my friends. Shout out to my fucking friends. All of y'all, my friends in Cannes, boom. My supporters, and of course, and most importantly, every single one of you guys out there listening, give yourselves a round of applause. I love you guys so much, so much, and it is nothing short of an honor, a privilege, and a blessing for me to share my time and my energy with you guys, especially if you decide to keep coming back and spending time with me. I look forward to the next time that we get to do this with one another, which will be next Tuesday. Now, before you exit out of whatever streaming service you're using to listen to this, stop what you're doing, and if you haven't already done so, look for the subscribe or follow button. Click on that if it's an option on the streaming service where you're listening. Next, I want you to go over to Instagram and follow me at handmemypurse underscore podcast. Also, follow me on Twitter at HMMP underscore podcast. And on Facebook, just search handmemypurse podcast. I'm up over there. Then there's threads. Go to my Instagram profile. Threads is there. Click on it. Follow me. Very simple. If you listen on a streaming service, that allows you to please rate and review the show or give it a thumbs up if you can reviewing the show takes two minutes i would really 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 appreciate it if you would rate the show it would really touch my heart and i will read here's the thing the next person who writes a review for my show i'm reading it on the show because it'll be my first review of 2024 and I want to start this, this year out with an awesome review. So how about this? Here's a challenge for you guys. The next the next person or the first person to rate my show, I mean, not rate it, review my show, to write a review on Apple Podcasts or on um, Spotify, because now you can leave like questions or comments on Spotify. The next person to do that or the first person to do that in 2024 on both platforms, I will read them on the next show because the next show will be the last show of the month of January. Moving forward, um, be sure to share your uh, with your friends and Ken uh, and people you don't like. Share Hand Me My Purse with them because the best way for people to learn and find out about this show is by you guys telling them all about it. So tell a friend to tell a friend to what? Tell a friend. Please submit your questions for the Straight Facts segment by clicking on the link in the show notes that says submit a question for Straight Facts. It's right under the jam. I moved it. I moved it last week. I moved it so that it's right under the jam. It's very easy to find. Just click on that little link. It's going to take you to a whole form. You're going to fill out a Google form. You can keep it anonymous. Nobody needs to know your name. You can make up a name or I can make up a name for you if you want me to. You can make up a location, but you can submit the question there Um, or click the link in my Instagram profile and look for the button that directs you to submit a question. And you never know your your question excuse me maybe the next question featured on hand me my purse also remember that show notes are always available in the episode description wherever you're listening to the show be sure to take a look at the show notes because that my friends and kin is where i put all of the links and other information that i mentioned during the show that you may want to check out in addition to some staple stuff that i want to share with you every week i want you to look at this every week okay check it out every week I'm going to add something new um, for February, I think. Anyway, um, I want you to know that the music for Hand Me My Purse is provided by none other than West Baltimore's own Gloomy Tunes. Shout out to West Baltimore and shout out to Gloomy Tunes. 
And last but not least, I want to give a big old shout out to Evan and Taylor. Together, along with me, we make up Rando Banjo and the Dirty Throats. I look forward to you looking forward to listening to Hand Me My Purse, the podcast, each and every single Tuesday. And I'm out this bitch, y'all. Peace. Hand Me My Purse is a production of iHeart Podcasts. For more shows from iHeart Podcasts, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.